0: Blessed are the poor, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that, me, that are meek. And oftentimes we look at these like they're soft and sentimental, emotional sayings. Maybe something like we might put on a pillow and decorate a couch with, you know, or put on a, a little uh, decorated picture and put it on Facebook, or maybe write it on the inside of a Hallmark card. That's not at all what this is. Like I said, these are often misunderstood. These turned the world upside down, spiritually speaking, in Jesus' day. Yes. And they're convicting. And they will convince us you know, of, of righteousness and unrighteousness. So at this word blessed, we start here with blessed are the poor. Now that is unusual. No one had ever heard anything like that. What does it mean? Does it mean to be poor physically or materially? What did you learn from your study? Does it mean to be well if I'm if I'm poor and I'm at a certain uh, income level, then I'm blessed? No, no, poor in spirit. It's a spiritual poverty, spiritual. So Jesus says that this is a a blessing upon those who recognize that they are spiritually poor. So we're taking an inner evaluation of ourselves. If you know that you've sinned against God, if you've felt your guilt and the sense that your life doesn't please God, if you're saved, you've had an experience like this. There's come a time in your life where you realize that there are things in my life that God does not approve of. And, and you, you, you let go of your self-righteousness. And you were broken spiritually. Bankrupt spiritually. You realize that I have no righteousness of my own. That in my condition, that, that I am not approved of by God. As a matter of fact, I'm guilty before God and, and I cannot go to heaven in this, in this condition that I'm in. Have you ever come to a point where you realize that you are poor in righteousness. If you haven't, listen, you've not had the Spirit of God deal with your heart in a saving way because this is the beginning of salvation. If you don't enter in at this, you don't enter in at all. Yeah, you got to be broken. And that's the problem. People are so filled with pride, and I was too before I got saved. One of the things, and I'll tell you what, we, we all deal with pride even after we get saved. Yeah. But dealing with our, our eternal soul, the Lord brings us through this to where we're spiritually broken. And this is the condition, by the way, of anyone who is ready to be saved. If you see your, your guilt and your need, you must come to God as a poor and weak and needy sinner. John Wesley, he went through this uh, conversion experience. He was an unconverted preacher in England and he came to America to be a missionary and to evangelize in the new world. And he was unsuccessful. It was a failure. And so he got back on a ship and crossed back over the pond, as they say, to head head back to to England. And and while he was on the ship coming to America and then going back, he ran into Moravian missionaries. Now, these were real uh, born-again, soul-winning missionaries, great missionary movement. And while on the seas, he went through a terrible storm and he was afraid. <clears throat> he was afraid of dying and he realized he had no assurance. He had no real hope that would really stand up under the pressures of being faced with death like that. And he saw the Moravian missionaries and they were all gathered together. They had huddled together down underneath the, the decks to pray. And, and he saw them with great peace and he realized that they have something That is entirely different than what he has, and even spoke to them about it. And then one of them witnessed to him, and I don't know the whole story, and I don't recollect the whole story, but one of them witnessed to him, and and he ended up getting saved as a result of that. He was an unconverted, prideful, self righteous sinner who had to be broken, a preacher. (laughs) And then he got saved, and then God mightily used him. Yeah. And that's how it can happen. It can happen to kids in Sunday school, right? They grow up, they know the gospel. They, they can even probably defend basic truths of the gospel and defend the Bible and things like that, but not yet be saved. And I can't force a child to get saved. We have three children in our home right now that are unconverted, and we pray for them. But I'm not going to just... Uh, I don't want to give them a false assurance. So we look for that that spiritual fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit, and you say, what's that? You're sorry for your sin. You're sorry for your sin. You feel broken over it. You feel guilty. And you feel like you're in need. You're in want. You're like a beggar. Poor, and you're begging for something that you don't have. So he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn. These people see their spiritual poverty and they become deeply sorrowful over it. The one who mourns over his sin is blessed, Jesus says, and it's being very sorry for what you've done. You know, David wrote, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, his sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit is no guile. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you know what? The longer that I live, the longer that I'm saved, the more that I mourn over my sin, the greater sense of my sinfulness that I have. I think I've told you about this plenty of times. It's, that's the experience of a Christian of a true believer. That's not the experience of a self-righteous do-gooder. There are people who think if I do good, I'd be good, and I'm in the good old boys club, and God will look down upon me and say, you're pretty good old son, I'll have you come up here to heaven and so on, and go up there and see the old man in the skies. That's all foolishness. Yep. Foolish. I mourn over my own sin. I mourn when I see the effects of my own failings and shortcomings in the children that are in my home, and I see my influence on them is not what I want it to be sometimes. I mourn when I see the way that they act just because of their own sinful nature. I mourn over our country, our sinful, wretched, vile country that is an offense to our holy God. I mourn when I think about the, the greatest murderer in our country is a doctor in his 80s and he has the record of the most abortions and he, he delights in late-term abortions. I mourn over those things. I mourn over people who are lost. You ever cry over somebody who's lost when you're praying for them? You know, just Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. I don't pretend to know the depths of all of this, but I can feel it, a little of it. Blessed are they that mourn. You see, now listen. He said, "Happy, happy are they that mourn." But this is like a deep seated, deep rooted happiness and contentment that God is on my side and God is blessing me. But it doesn't mean that we're walking around all the time, you know. Like, uh, like there's there's not a problem with sin and there aren't people lost and dying and so on. And I'll tell you, at a revival meeting is a great time to just get alone with God and get. Just get real with God and to, you know, to to deal with your inner self, your true condition. You know, how close am I to the Lord? Was there a time in my life where I was closer to the Lord? Was there a time in in my life when I was more sensitive to my sin? Was there a time in my life when I prayed more, when I handed out tracts, did I stop doing that? Was there a time in my life when I was more consistent in church and I was into it? And, and I, was, I was concerned about when, when the preacher would preach, I would come away not with criticisms for his sermon, I would come away with, oh man, that really hit me. That really stepped on my toes. God got me there and he dealt with my heart today. You know, blessed are they that mourn. Jesus is talking about these things that, that as we begin and, and he's directing his disciples to look inward. And then verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst... After righteousness. Okay? So these people are hungering and thirsting. Uh, Well, I skipped one, didn't I? I skipped the meek. I'm sorry. Verse 5. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Okay, here's some basic statements about the meek. Meekness is not weakness. All right? We've all heard that. And it's good. It's true. It's the opposite of weakness. It's, It's actually... It's the opposite of a self-confident and a self-righteous attitude. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. It is not a self-confident, you know, if I think positive and I think positive thoughts about myself and successful thoughts about myself. And, and if I listen, if I talk like a winner, I'll be a winner. You hear stuff like that on YouTube. It's foolish. No, that, that's not meekness. It's not self-confidence. It's not a self-righteous attitude. It's not like, well, I've grown and I've matured and I've been a Christian for so long, you know, I, I might not need that revival meeting, and I might not need to hear somebody else preach from the Word of God. And so I got this thing together. Now that's not the sign of a person who's meek. The longer that you serve the Lord, the more you realize that I can't even walk without holding his hand, and I need something from God. I need something from God this week, you know, and I need to hear from God's word. The meek. It's, it's not a weakness, but it's, it's somebody who, instead of being self-confident, is, is saying, I am totally reliant on the Lord. I have to totally lean on Him. He is my strength from day to day. You know, that's that, that, that song, Day by Day, goes along with that really well. And it is uh, strength under control because as a child of God, listen, you've got, you've got power, you've got authority, but it doesn't come from yourself. It comes from Christ in you. The indwelling Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But what's the opposite of that? You can do all things through him that he's called you to do, right? Uh, by uh, uh, What is that? I can do all things through him. Through Christ, through. Through, through Christ which strengtheneth me, yes. So it's uh, that strength that is totally not self-centered, not self-absorbed, but this is a sign of spiritual maturity. Now let me give you a silly illustration uh, from this just because it's it's all i have right now uh i was at a gas station yesterday heading up to the youth rally all right uh i won't say everything that i'm thinking about yesterday but i'll, I'll say this at least heading up there and uh, we stopped at the gas station and jace is he's he's on the ball with watching gauges watching things right now time changing the calendar he's on the ball he's meticulous in his detail uh so he says you need to pull over and get gas I said I know I need to pull over and get gas I'm driving so we pull over and get gas and um and and it's packed but I was waiting until I got to this BP I wanted to get that gas and it was a better price anyways it was just packed so I pull in there and I see one opening but it's kind of one of those deals where you got to pull in and then you got to back into it you know and uh so I pull in and I swing around I'm throwing it into reverse, and just as I do, this old beat-up jalopy just comes right behind me and goes right into the pump. And I thought, man, there's not a, there's not a scripture sticker on the back of my car, so I could, <laughs> I got one on my front plate. But uh, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to get out and give this guy a piece of my mind, and, and uh, just the immediate flash. So I was like, so I said, jerk. <laughs> and then I backed into the other side. And you know what I did? I thought, I'm going to give him a track. You ever give somebody a track just because you're angry? You know? And then you're like, all of a sudden you have the courage to give somebody a track. And then so I thought, uh, I don't want, that's not a good reason to do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I got out, and he just got out and he ran into the store, and I'm making all these judgments on him and stuff like that. But, anyways, I had to repent a lot of that. But I got out and I pumped my gas, and then I thought, I'm going to give him a track, but I'm going to do it in the right spirit. So I, I got a track. And as he was pumping his gas and sitting in there, I just peeked over there and I said, hey, buddy. And I said, I want to like to give this to you to read gift from me to you. He said, oh, thanks. And he just acted like there was no problem. And uh, so I was so I got out of there. And you know what that was? That was a fumbling, bumbling uh, attempt at being meek. But at least I didn't just, like, yell at him or something like that or do something to embarrass myself. At least I gave him a track. What did Jason say about him? Uh, see, if I would have done that, Jason would have saw that. But uh, with God helping me and reminding me and dealing with my conscience the whole time. But that's the world we live in. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but everywhere you go, people are hostile. People are on edge right now. And people are angry, and they're just ready to just... I mean, you watch people's comments online and so on. Listen, if you want to be meek, let me tell you how to be meek on the social media and in your computer life. Let's just say you're going to write a hateful email. How would a meek person handle writing a hateful email? Well, you're mad at somebody. So you're writing an email or you're writing some kind of a review at some place on Google or whatever, Yelp. You you write, write your angry email. Write it out. Read it over. And then when you get done doing that, delete it and get rid of it. Don't send it. A, a, a meek person doesn't do that. You always want to be an influence, a gracious influence on this world. And there's just enough people shooting off their mouths. Uh, we, we don't need that. You might kill your witness with somebody. And I found out, you know, just coming here and meeting people. Uh, when I first got here, the Lord has had to deal with me a lot and, and, you know sand off rough edges and take the chip off my shoulder, and so on. but I found out coming here and meeting people that when you first meet somebody, that first impression uh, might not be what that person is truly like and and over time, spending four years with you, uh, I see a, a different side of things and i and there's a whole family dynamic and i and as a shepherd's supposed to know the state of his flock and I look at the state of everyone and what's going on, I realize if I would have gotten in the flesh when I first got here or tried to lash out and retaliate every time somebody you know offended me or something like that which was very few times but if I would have done that I would have misjudged the situation and I would have just then I would have had something I had to live down you know and feel bad about so it's just better and meekness just to to restrain uh yourself and by the power of the spirit because we can't do it but jesus wants us to be meek now he does not mean let yourself be a doormat or to be walked all over but just to walk in the power of the spirit and listen vengeance belongs to the lord let him deal with your situations you just be a good witness blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness in verse six so the meek will have an appetite for the things of god you see that? Hunger and thirst. The meek will have an appetite for things that make them more pleasing to God. So again, we're, we're looking inward. <clears throat> That's your appetite. Uh, if you're full of the world's junk food, you have no appetite for spiritual things. And so what we need to do is empty ourselves, especially during a week of revival. This is not time to be binging on Netflix or Prime or anything like that. This is not time to be spending all of our time listening to the negative, just rantings of people on television. This is time to be seeking the Lord. Extra time in prayer, extra time in Bible reading. And uh, listen, I know we're not all spiritual giants in here. We're not a bunch of John Wesleys. But listen, God wants to... Do something for this church this week. And you need to say, Lord, do I really hunger and thirst after righteousness? And Lord, make me hungry. Make me hungry. Empty me of of all these things that are taking away my appetite. And uh, listen, we know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty, don't we? Physically. Uh, But we don't know what it's like to starve. Not in America, I don't think. I know that there are some people in this country that are doing without proper nourishment and so on, but we don't know what it's like to starve. Uh, Dr. Guy Stern I read about this man. He's a Nazi refugee. He, he, he came from, the, from Germany to the U.S. during Hitler's reign. And, and then while he was in the U.S., this is about World War II, he became a soldier in the United States military. And then he went back and he landed in Normandy after after D-Day, but he landed in Normandy and he helped to do many things with linguistics and everything, but he helped to liberate prisoners in Buchenwald. I, I don't know how to pronounce that, but he he liberated prisoners from one of these Nazi camps and then he set up food and water for provisions and... He, he was just amazed because the prisoners getting out were still in shock. He saw one man leaning, uh, kneeling down at a puddle, a muddy puddle, and getting a drink from that puddle just like it was routine. That was just what he was used to doing in the in the camp. And, and he went over to the man and the man was just in shock and was not really with it. And he said, we have clean drinking water over here. We have, we have food for you. And the people had to be slow to take in the food, being emaciated, you know. And if you've seen pictures of that, he said it was just the the whole day was just was shocking to him. But he 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 and others have spoken about soldiers being on one side of the fence, and these and these uh, prisoners coming out of the camps, these Jewish prisoners coming up to the American soldiers and saying thank you, thank you, thank you for freeing me and liberating me. There's one account that I heard of of a of a Jewish man kneeling down and kissing the boot of an American soldier and the American soldier saying, please don't do that, you don't have to do that. But they were just so thankful to be set free and they were hungry and thirsty. And trying to the Jews. Yes, yeah, and we've been studying about that on Wednesday night. Yeah. That's the Antichrist right. and his his job is to all the Jews. Yep, destroy God's people, the Jews, and to persecute the Christian church, yes. And, and man, they were hungry and thirsty. They knew what it was like to be hungry. They knew what it was like to be set free. They had a deep gratitude. When a person is really hungry, food or drink becomes the center of their thoughts, right? It becomes the focus of all their efforts. Nothing else matters until I get something to eat, until I get something to drink. A person will reach the point when satisfying that hunger or thirst is at the top of their, of their priorities. God puts a hunger inside of his children for the things of God, doesn't he? And we have that. If you're saved, you say, I know, I know this, I feel this, I've, I've experienced this. So how does God feed us then? How does God feed his children, his hungry children? With the word of God primarily, right? What, what did Peter, uh, what did Jesus say to Peter? Remember, feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he was supposed to teach him, give him the word of God. And God feeds us in that way. Um, God feeds us, specifically, says, thirsting after righteousness. And as a Christian, we, give, we get the imputed righteousness of Christ doctrinally. We're given that righteousness. Uh, you can't get any more righteous uh, to God spiritually in your in your soul and what he's done for your soul than what you already are you have the righteousness of christ put on your account but he wants to work out in our daily lives these this as i said in the beginning um the kind of righteousness that jesus expects his followers to have and uh and he he wants us more and more to understand we've been liberated we're free from our sins Uh, it no longer has the power over us like it did before and that we are expected to live a righteous life Um, you think about a preacher you look at me and you hold me to a higher standard of righteousness than any other person in this church don't you that's just the way it goes they taught us that in in the bible institute and it's uh, just the way it is and we hold deacons in a church to a higher standard of righteousness. Why? Why do we do that? Every man has the same standards in the Bible, right? To be self-controlled and so on and to be angry and sin not. And, uh, we all have the same standards, but there's a higher standard of righteousness. Guess what? Jesus has a standard of righteousness that he expects of us. And he said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after it. And if you're saved, I already know. You hunger and you thirst after it. So verse seven, blessed are the merciful. Now we're moving into the outward look, looking at others. Blessed are the merciful. You know, uh, before we look at these and we won't look at them in as much detail, I forgot to say, and I wanted to say this. It came from the quarterly. I didn't want to miss it. Talking about meekness. um, You know, Paul was called meek in the Bible. Paul was called meek. Moses was called meek, right? Moses was the meekest of all men. Were those men weak men? No, they were great leaders, but they had a strong faith and dependence on God, and God used them mightily. They were meek men, and so I just want to say that you need to desire to be meek in this age. It is so contrary to everything that this current age is all about. You need to be meek, and that's just... Simply that God can use you as a as a leader, men or women, to be a leader. Leader, you know, in the home. I think about meekness. I think this is the one the Lord dealt with me personally about the most. I always preach my own sermons to myself. You know, <laughs> meekness in the home, meekness with children, and dealing with children because sometimes you look at them and you think, I just want to, you know, yes. mm. oh, you know, and you got to pray. Pray, 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 pray. Um, especially when you're trying to raise somebody's children and they're not your own children. And anyways, um, meekness in the home, they need to see that. You guys need to see meekness in a pastor. pastor's supposed to be gentle and so on. And, and I just think about that. My wife, she needs a meek husband. Not a weak husband, but a husband who will step up and take his spiritual leadership seriously. But somebody who will... Uh, to take that seriously and be a meek man, I tell you uh, a woman will never a woman will never uh, grow una, unaffectionate or un, discontented with a meek husband. All right, verse seven, blessed are the merciful. Now we're looking at our relationship to others. God is merciful, right? And we should be glad that he is. Amen. What is mercy? Okay, this is the way I like to define it, all right? Well, that's that's grace. This is the way I like to define it. And when I say it, sometimes people kind of like, give me the uh, mercy is giving you something you don't like you fall, you go to a courthouse and you fall on the judge and say, I ask for mercy. Yeah. He said, I'll let you go. And you're asking for mercy why? Because you committed a sin. Because you're in trouble. Yeah, and you committed a sin. So mercy is negative. And when I say that, people look at me like, "Huh? Mercy is negative." You've done something wrong and you need mercy. So mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. That's mercy. That's what I that's how I teach it. Grace. Now, of course, it's a positive thing for us when we receive the mercy, right? But it's it's, a, it's something where you feel you feel conviction, you feel guilt, and that is the remedy, God's mercy. Yes. And uh, instead of being proud of your sin and parading it, you know, you see God and you say, God, please do not give me what I deserve. Grace is God, it's positive. Yeah, I forgot to write that. It's positive. It's God... Giving, that's positive. When God gives you something, that's positive. It's God giving you what you don't deserve. That's grace. God giving you something that you don't deserve. In other words, that's just a longer way of saying unmerited favor. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful. Listen, if God's been merciful with us, we ought to be merciful with others. God does not give us what we deserve. Amen. Um, the author of our quarterly, he wrote this, and we'll move on to the next verse. Our natural tendency is to be selfish and unforgiving toward those who have wronged us. We want them to get what they deserve and what they, for what they have done. The righteous attitude is a forgiving attitude. Amen. The righteous attitude is a merciful attitude. All right. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those of us who have experienced God's mercy have been cleansed from our sins. That's already happened. You're already pure. And then God goes on to purify our heart and our life, our desires, our actions, our attitudes. But we need to allow him to work in our lives. Okay. I see a lot of times, and um, I'm just kind of just speaking from the heart right now. I see people, I see families come to church, they bring their children, and then they, they come, you know, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, and they're all excited. They even come on Wednesday night, and then they, they come to some of the extra things, you know, maybe a youth rally or a youth youth outing, and, and and they're coming all the time. And at first their children are kind of... Who is this guy up there that does all the talking that's wearing a suit, you know? And they don't want to talk to me. They don't really want to look at me going out the door and I'll try to be nice to them and mess with them and stuff like that. But after a while, they warm up to me and then they start to talk to me and then they start to come in and tell me stories and share what they're doing at school and so on. And they start to warm up and you can see the the, the gracious influence of God upon their lives through the ministry of the Word and prayer and Christian fellowship and just everybody's example. And then... Something happens and the family drops out of church. And then they kind of come back again and out of nowhere and then drop away. Come back again out of nowhere. And you can see the decline spiritually in the purity of the family and God's influence in their lives. And you just think, why are you doing this? Keep your kids in church. Don't use church as a a punishment. Like, well, you're not behaving, so I'm not taking you to Sunday school. What, you know? The blessed are the pure in heart. And, and basically, if you just leave yourself exposed to God's influence, the way that God works in our lives through his word, he does purify our lives. And you might not be able to see it always, but I can see it and others can see it. I look at my life and I think I, I'm not uh, the preacher I ought to be. Maybe I'm not as mature as I ought to be and so on and so forth. But God's working in my life, too, and he's changing me. And, and uh, he just does that. He wants to make us pure in our lives Purity. God is pure. God wants purity from our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for the Beatitudes. There's so much in there. We didn't get all the way through it. But Lord, I thank you for this time of meditating on it and what we've learned from it. Be with us in the morning service now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.